As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone. You have arrived at Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I am here with my dear friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. And we're going to be chatting all about analysis of fictional people. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another fun-filled episode of Characters on the Couch. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Horn, and I'm here with my my dear, <laughs> cherished friend. Thank you. Dr. Adam Stern. Oh, I'm so was, relieved. He was very hurt last week when I when I didn't <laughs> give a shout-out to, to our friendship. I know, I know. This is a fragile little organism that we have going here, and <laughs> I'm going to nurture it like a little orchid that needs, you know, the little ice cubes put in the bottom. Anyway, moving on. We today are talking about the show Industry. I actually think that this show poses perhaps our greatest challenge yet yeah. because literally every single character in the show mm-hmm. with whom we've had any more than a one-line contact, to me, as an outsider, is seriously psychologically disturbed. <laughs> that's. I think that's where the show <laughs> is coming from. I think that they essentially want us to believe this is a world – where at this age, within this cohort, within this group of people who have chosen this sort of path, they're all. This is the world you're living in. In other words, the society that these uh, characters exist in, it would be abnormal to not be in need of psychological help. Okay, so let's start with that and say, what is it about this field of uh, this industry, this hyperactive, mm-hmm. you know, ultra high tier finance industry? that attracts people who mm, have problems? Are we compensating for <laughs> uh, things in our lives? What is going on? Yeah, so l- let me just put some disclosures out into this uh, the world in this podcast. So first disclosure, I went to medical school right out of college, and a bunch of my friends from college went and got some, high, what I th- looked at and thought of as like sort of high-powered but low-tier, you know, lowest rung on the ladder, mm-hmm. right out of college jobs. But they were at really great, you know, financial institutions that made – they made a lot of money as 23-year-olds and and they worked really hard. But they I knew, you know, they also partied pretty hard and, and I understood some of them then went to business school, which I understood to then be like sort of even more of a party uh, after that. And so I looked at them from – my snowy library up in Syracuse, New York. And I was like, man, that's a life. I can't believe they're like 
going out and meeting people and doing things and working hard and making money. And there are probably drugs and, you know, not that my friends would do drugs, but, you know, there are drugs and, you know, sex and all these things. And so that's my disclosure is I looked at the show and I was like, oh, yeah, this is the show that informed my imagination between the year, you know, my ages of 22 and 26, basically. Right. Right. Okay. But what, but that was your very (laughs) subtle way of sidestepping my question, which is your, so these jobs, yes, at the top tier financial institutions, they take these recent college graduates, or in some cases not, as per Mm -hmm. um, Harper Stern, the main character who actually lies. No relation. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And another important caveat, (laughs) Dr. Stern, thank Uh you for that. So they all want to go to Pierpoint, this top investment Mm -hmm. bank in London, Mm -hmm. and live this frenetic life, which is extremely high paid. Basically, they own you. Right. Um, They own every second of your time. You have to be thinking always on your feet because Mm -hmm. in all likelihood, the people who are surrounding you who are just as ambitious as you are, are going to be willing to uh, stab you in the back and take you down so as to ensure their own ascent. So, you know, so the the trope by way of my own personal disclosure, I went to law school and the, the sort of unspoken kind of truth about people who go to law school is that we are inherently risk averse. Okay. Mm. We are going to law school because we are humanities based, uh, majors who, you know, whatever we read to kill a mockingbird, we like that against Finch, you know, we have a sense of justice or we just didn't know what to do with our liberal arts strengths and thought maybe going to law school is a good idea. In, on the flip side of that, those who went into business were more, they enjoyed risk. They, you know, in other words, these high pressure environments where you're called upon to make a call in like a matter of minutes that can move millions, if not billions of dollars. It's very high pressure, very high stakes. Right, right. There are a lot of fields where you're, you're, you're tasked with minimizing risk, like obviously medicine and aviation and things like that. It's like, and what law. can we do? And law. What can we do to minimize risk? Whereas I feel like the, the, these industries that are about finance and, and, and money making are about calculating risk. It's about what level of risk are we willing to accept? Correct. So let's talk about... To my mind, the most unhinged person first, okay. which I feel is Eric. Yeah, Eric, definitely. Uh, so Eric is uh, Harper's, you know, we're sort of seeing the world through Harper's eyes and Eric is her boss. He operates like, oh man, how, do, how would you describe it? So essentially, it's like he, he acknowledges the system is corrupt, but if you win, if you're able to make it work for you, then that's good enough for him. You know, that's how I right. would sort of describe his his uh, approach to the world and, and mentorship and that kind of thing. I mean, he's very kill or be killed. Yes. You know, and he is ruthless. He, he, sort, of, he sort of doesn't really seem to have very many human bones in his body. He is completely intolerant of anyone's foibles or or human failings extremely and i find that in a lot of these high pressure professions law is not exempt from this you have people whose underlying level of irritation and frustration is so high 
that just everything is extremely acerbic Mm-hmm. And there, there's no, there's no room for gentility here. Yeah, it's, it's it, almost like that's the point of you know. In other words, like he is so acerbic that that there is. It's like uh, if you join my team, you better be this. This is where we're operating. You know, this level right. of you know, uh, there won't be any. There's no question about whether things will be appropriate or not because, by definition, from the top down, it's not appropriate. Right. Right. Um, and so what you would never get him on your couch because he would never in a million years take an hour out of his schedule to talk to someone unless it was mandated um, mm-hmm. by HR. Which it might be. Which someday. it might be. And then he would yeah. be totally reluctant yeah. to participate or comply. Mm-hmm. So what's his diagnosis? What do you, I mean, because he doesn't he he goes to such lengths to not be human. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's someone that you might border close to psychopathy. A lot of characters and a lot of, frankly, a lot of people in the world uh, who operate in the way that Eric does um, are probably, you know, on the edge of psychopathy, psychopaths. And can you talk a little bit about that for, for those of us who are the secular people? About going into the definition of psychopathy for those of us who automatically have like, you know, a vision of him like with a knife behind a shower curtain. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, you know, psychopathy is a is a uh, sort of corner of something that we might call antisocial personality disorder. It is not all, you know, murderous rage and psycho- You don't have to be a murderer to be a psychopath. You you really don't. Um, so that being said, there are a lot of symptoms where it's sort of a, an ends justify the means thing. They have low conscientiousness. They're often antagonistic toward people. They're not anxious, neurotic people. They're generally seen as more aggressive, hostile. They're trying to achieve whatever it is that they think will help them personally without concern for others. Okay. Yeah, that's that's her. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. So as opposed to, there are different takes that people have on this, right? Cause can we talk a little bit about Harper and then on the sort of flip side of Harper, uh, Yasmin? Yeah, so Harper... It, again, she's sort of who we're seeing the world through. Uh, yes. I think she's a, a, a re, what's the phrase I'm looking for? She's she's sort of an, a vehicle for the. Not that's not the right word, but the uh, you know the audience is looking at this world through her her brand new eyes, you know, uh, because she's entering this world in season one. And uh, Yasmin is, I don't know, she sort of comes from the world a little bit more. She 
you know, has has connections through her, I think through her, is it through her family or whatever they are. Somehow it's a, a these these two young women are are sort of thrown into their roles as like they have to succeed in this, you know, it's almost like the old uh, prison experiments where you would take people and assign them the roles of like guards or prisoners. Right, right. And their personalities sort of change over time to fit those archetypes of what we think of those people, uh, how how they behave. So the audience in this case is viewing Harper become something different over time or at least uh, let out parts of herself that were always there and let them breathe, you know, and let them uh, grow and and become more of who who she is. And so I think that's the audience's sort of... uh, journey with Harper is seeing her change over that time and and at times saying like no Harper don't do those drugs or you know like no just go home and go to sleep so you can wake up refreshed and you know (laughs) you're such a dad that kind of thing you know (laughs) yeah so I don't know those are I think that it's hard this show is hard to do psychopathology with because I think the premise is very much about like take uh a blank slate and throw them into the world of evil finance for young people, you know, uh, and see what happens, you know? Right. And what do you think about Robert? Robert. So Robert is presented in season one. He's an attractive young guy, but he seems, I think he's presented as kind of dumb, at least to me. He seems like yeah, a, a little, a little goofy, a little, a little, but, but like he's presented on the team at Pierpoint that is about customer, like there was one big account and his role was to basically keep this big account happy, you know? Uh, and so you see Robert in all these ways, like I'm, I'm referencing mostly season one here where he's like mostly doing <laughs> just like just like hanging out with the his 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 sort of peer at this big account and being subservient you know like hanging out having a good time make sure the customer's happy the big account has to be happy right. and so that leads to a d uh i don't know he he becomes a version of himself that is frankly disgusting you know like uh he he will do anything to make this account happy you know, effectively. And so there's something there that's a uh, psychopathology, you know, uh, we, we could talk about the ways that that is dehumanizing and that, that the, the downstream effects of that on your, on your person, but it's on your persona and how you see yourself, but mm-hmm. there's not really a, a diagnosis that I can point to. Obviously, if you got Robert on the couch uh, and actually worked with him for some time, you would try to uh, figure out ways that he could set limits. <laughs> I mean, frankly, we're going to say that for almost every character in the show. Absolutely. Every single one. Um, there's nobody who doesn't, who's not good at it. And uh, if anything, the the one person who's good at setting limits, is, I mean, I guess you have to have... The moral of this story is that you have to have the money to set the limits, right? So Jesse Bloom can set whatever limits he wants. Exactly. Yeah, I think you're hitting on it. That that the um like one of the core, I don't know, themes of the show is Harper doesn't have, nor does Eric necessarily have like a safety net. I think Eric sees himself in Harper a lot. So there's no safety net of of wealth behind you or under you. Then 
you you know you, you will do anything to succeed that's sort of the i think the premise and you take people with a safety net they can approach this cutthroat world in a very different way because it's all ga- it's all a game you know uh there are no there aren't the same risks necessarily oh man i don't know what do you i i what i'd like to do is maybe take a step back and think about the mindset of kids not kids young adults at that age coming out and we've done this a few times talked about you know the young adult brain and how it's developing etc but i want to think about it in these terms because i knew i mean i knew i knew people who you would say you would look at their behavior on a wednesday night and you knew that they had class on a thursday morning and some of those people I mean, now at the ripe old age of whatever, like they're grownups doing great. They went to great schools. They got whatever they did, whatever they needed to do. And all of those late nights on Wednesday didn't translate to demise over the course of their life. But at the same time, a lot of those people probably, occasionally, a few of those people don't make it out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I could think of a few examples there too, where you say, oh, whatever happened to so-and-so, I don't know. Like they didn't, they didn't, uh, you know, achieve their dreams, shall we say? Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's an interesting concept. This, this like immortality of youth kind of thing that pervades almost every young character in the show. Mm. Not every young character, although no. he's not as young as the others, and he doesn't really fit into the same category because he doesn't work for Pierpoint. But mm-hmm. um, Gus, who is the tutor to um, Jesse Bloom's son and later becomes his lover and is friends mm-hmm. with Harper and all these people, Gus maintains like a sense of self yeah, and, and independence. And I guess that, that goes to show you that to be independent, you either have to have a lot of money <laughs> or alternatively not um, care about it yeah, and care about other things. So let's, let's flip it around and, let me ask the audience and you to to think about this for a second. If you had a friend who was really high achieving, being courted by several different finance jobs, let's say coming out of college, but they didn't have a lot of money, what kind of advice would you give to that person to make to make it? You know, I mean, it's sad because I think that I look. I can't fault anyone, particularly people who have a lot of financial burdens, whether it's caregiving for their family or loans to pay back, you know, you just have to be aware that if something is coming at such a high price, Mm. it's not like an inverse Costco where they're going to give you a lot of money for very little. Uh Right? I've never (laughs) heard that. Yeah. No, I just thought of that. I I know. What can I say? So in other words, yeah, they're going to give you a ton of money. Um, mm-hmm. And they're going to expect literally everything from you. Right, right. All, all of your time, all of your energy. Right. You know, and you have to decide if if that's worth it, especially. So the thing that that I think I didn't really appreciate at the time is that you are only young once. Yeah. And, you know, youth is wasted on the young, blah, blah, blah. That, that's not really it. It's more that, like, this is a really fleeting period of your life. Uh And, you know, do you want to spend it being like an abused workhorse? Yeah. 
for it to pay a lot of, you know, yeah. so that you can have a really fancy apartment that like yeah. you will maybe change your clothes in. Even even now, you know, 20 years later, I think about my thought process around that time period and and I think about, you know, you look at role models. You look at people who are who are a generation ahead of you and you think, how can I get to be like that? person, you know, and you're like, well, the path starts here. You know, it starts, Mm -hmm. you know, people who get this offer to go and, you know, work for these people, I would say, let the worker beware is, is what I have to say, because, you know, there were like maybe five years in my twenties when I, yeah, I lived in New York and I saw it from the window of my black car that took me home at two in the morning every night. So Yay. <laughs> there's a there's a selling of your soul that that becomes on the table, right? At this age. Yes. First. And I would, and I would, I, would, I would say, look, once you get let's say you don't take my advice and you go in there and you see what's at the end of the line, like what the aspirational position is, and then you can reevaluate and be like, "Nee, I don't really want that aspirational yeah. position." You know, the hard part is that you have to be like awake enough to realize that. Yeah. Some people do. They get in, no matter what world it is, medicine, Mm -hmm. law, business, anything that it requires, you know, decades of sort of work and training. Some, sometimes people get in there and they say, this isn't for me, actually. Now that I've seen it from the inside, like I've got to get out. That was me. I always respect those people uh, tremendously. Yeah. Because it it takes a degree of courage to, to step away, you know, I think one thing. Well, I, it, it, what helped me was that I was also not very good at it. <laughs> so, that well, helped. that's that's uh, that's a, a good motivator too. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like podcasting where I'm really great at it. Anyway, listen, I I I would say I guess I recommend this show because I think that it is an extremely intriguing ensemble. And I think that it has a very well-developed range of characters, all of whom are intriguing in their own ways. Yeah. It's pretty depressing. It's it's pretty intense, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's it's the kind of show that if you're in if you want there have been there have been, I don't know, dozens of shows like this. We we mentioned last time, like 90210, I feel like is is a you know, if you're into melodrama okay. and drugs. Adam, nine oh two one oh is a lot more fun than this show. Well, it's it's a it's a classic. I wonder if it was so much more fun because of how old we were when we watched it the, for mm. the first time. I was really pushing for uh, an evaluation of 90210. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm on the fence. I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to go back into the, the realm of... Uh, the psyches of Yeah, I, I don't know. Dylan and right. Luke Perry. Luke oh Perry God. was Dylan, right? Yes. I have to Luke revisit. Perry was Dylan. I'll have to study up before we do an episode like like that. Brandon All right. And Brenda. Okay, anyway. All right. <laughs> thanks everybody for coming and we will um, be in your ears next week. All right. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people, and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.